Film and television, merely entertainment, right? No. There's so much more to film and television that changes our perspectives. And as a result, we can have different, either realistic expectations or non-realistic expectations about what life is really like. Whether it be horror that helps us develop a habit of turning every light on in the house, or a comedy that helps us relieve tension in the saddest times of our life. I wanna go in the Wayback Machine and find out exactly what movie helped shape you. I'm Oma Shadi, and welcome to the Between the Bannisters podcast. Thanks so much for joining us again for Between the Bannisters podcast. I'm so excited this week to speak to one of my cohorts, my partner in crime, Ms. Lisa Kroger. Lisa, say hello to the folks. Hi, folks. <laughs> so excited. Um, Lisa is such an incredible writer and incredible colleague that I'm very excited to get her point of view um, as someone who, you know, writes um, incredible literary horror fiction and is, a, you know, a PhD in Gothic literature. It's, it's interesting to get her take on horror films and how horror films uh, created her. I'm really, really excited for today. So a little bit about Lisa. She is a Stoker and Locust Award-winning writer who lives on uh, Gulf Coast, where she enjoys a life of reading, writing, and all things horror. Sometimes she uses her PhD in Gothic literature to teach, but mostly she uses it to write horror in all formats, fiction, nonfiction, podcasts, and screenplays. She's an active member of the Horror Writers Association and the Nick's Horror Collective, a group focused on women-created genre content for film, television, and new media. Also the host of the Monster She Wrote and No Fear podcast, which are bi-weekly casts that dissect the horror genre. And most recently with Nick, produced the 13 Minutes of Horror Folklore, which streamed recently on Shudder. So let's get to it. Lisa, what are we talking about today? What film helped shape you? <laughs> Uh, this ended up being a really challenging question to answer <laughs> when I really started thinking about it. <laughs> but I picked uh, the 1973 film, The Exorcist, yes. <laughs> as the one that <laughs> defined me in ways that I don't think I've even fully explored yet. So I'm really excited to talk about it with you today. Um, right. Well, I mean, let's let's get to it. Tell me why you, before we get into shaping, how it shaped you. Tell me why you loved this movie. Um, I don't, okay. I don't know if I can even say I so much loved this movie as, <laughs> but I, I do think it's the Sounds one that, it. yeah, I think it's the one that turned me into a horror fan Yes. because growing up, I was always terrified of anything even remotely scary um, the scariest things I would watch would be like Vincent Price movies with my grandmother, but those felt safe in a way, I think because they were black and white and I may have had a slight crush as a child on Vincent Price. So it felt very like a safe horror environment. But when I would go to Blockbuster on, you know, on Friday nights, we would go to Blockbuster. My mom would say, go pick out a movie. And I would be very careful not to go down the horror aisle of that. <laughs> store because just looking at the VHS covers terrified me. And I want to see it. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I was like, I don't even want to look at the picture of Pinhead. Oh my gosh. 
I remember being kind of thrust into it when I went to go stay at a friend's house. My dad had dropped me off. Her older brother was there. For some reason, her parents left for a little bit. And so we were just there with her older brother. I was in middle school. And so it was that time in my life where I didn't want to admit to my friends that I was too scared to watch horror movies. And my friend's brother was like, let's watch The Exorcist. It's this awesome movie. And I sat there and was too scared to even really cover my eyes through it. <laughs> and so it was oh, one body of those, doesn't work. <laughs> right. It was one of those films that I watched it purely because of peer pressure. I was terrified. I was terrified to go to sleep. I was terrified to like tell my father what I had done when I came back and he wanted to know why, why I was acting so weird and I felt like I had done something really wrong, <laughs> like something really rebellious, but at the same time, I kind of loved it. Like I kind of loved the thrill of it. And after that, I was like, oh, if I can watch The Exorcist, I can watch anything. And it was Pretty a free for all <laughs> after that. And I discovered my love for horror after the fact but that was it. Like that was the gateway drug that got me into it. So that's why the I gateway drug. <laughs> pinpointing this movie as like this is what started it all for me was watching The Exorcist. Wait, and by the way, middle school still feels way too young to watch this film because it is oh, terrifying. Sure. Like yeah. my son's eleven, my youngest is eleven, and we're just now getting into things. I mean, our our barrier right now is how many boobies are in it. So, yes. I mean, that's, <laughs> like, we're trying to, like, okay, there's a lot of boobies in these, you know, formative intro movies. But even for him, it seems like, wow, this might be a lot for kids to handle. But for us, it was, that's kind of what we did. It was VHS. It was, you know, cable TV that played those movies all day long, regardless of what time it was. And we kind of had access, and most of us were latchkeys. So, you know, having a slumber party where parents are kind of, away and you have like an older figure that's you know it feels rebellious it feels like you know you're being a no good nick and you're doing bad things and I can understand why that was like I can I can take out the world <laughs> yeah yeah totally totally I um, feel it <laughs> so tell me how you feel that it shaped you either as a writer as a person in your approach to life in general well, I think as a writer, this movie has been really influential in a, in a couple of different ways, because even going back and rewatching it as an adult, there are themes that strike me differently now that I'm older. For instance, just the fact of the, the terror when I watch this movie as an adult is the fact that there's a mother and a child relationship, and the mother, for a lot of it, she doesn't know what's wrong with her child. And every expert, every doctor she's talking to is really kind of trying to tell her that she's overreacting or that yeah. she doesn't know what she's talking about. Like, I, I was really struck on a rewatch when the mom tells the neurologist that, you know, my child's bed was shaking and he said it was seizures. He's like, oh, well, it just, it was a really bad seizure and that made the bed appear it was shaking. And we had all in the audience watched the scene and it was like, that's not a seizure. Definitely not a seizure. <laughs> that is the bed coming off the floor. <laughs> and so as an adult, I feel her frustration 
it, you know, it can be anything like, um, your child, when your child is sick with anything and you can't find answers, like it's that terror that this is tapping into. But mm -hmm. when I watched it in middle school, for me, it was more about connecting with a girl who was almost my age and having really terrible things happen and her parents not being able to help her. And yeah. that is a different type of terror completely. So it's weird because this movie, I think, is supposed to be about um, a priest who is losing his faith and mm -hmm. encounters the supernatural thing and then dies horribly at the end. I think that's what the movie is supposed to be about. I didn't connect. <laughs> yeah, I didn't connect with that at all. I, I always connected um. with one of the female characters. So now as an, a writer of horror, that's where I, that's my entry point into it is what is the female perspective in the story? Like, what is, what is the female gaze? Where is the horror for those characters? And I, I really do think it started with that. Like, it started with The Exorcist, because as a young girl watching a young girl at the center of it, that's, that's pretty life-shaping. Yeah. And it's super intense, because it's not like it's a coming-of-age story. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Having that we're used to seeing, you know, girls in that age as being like something. I'm trying to think of movies that were along that era. I can think of like Little Darlings or like Foxes, where it's, you know, this dramatic coming of age story about these teenage girls or these girls of a formative age. And it's centered in, you know, now that you, you mentioned it about, you know, Ellen Burstyn's character being very dismissed, which it still continues today even especially in the medical community, when we're not talking just about our children, but also ourselves, um, it's a really difficult spot to be in, is to kind of fight for your place and fight for you to be heard. But as a young girl going through, I mean, it, it, it seems, you know, you go through so much with your friends when you're that age, but there's so much inner turmoil and so much loneliness at that yeah. age that for girls, and I'm sure boys experiences too but um at least for myself it was you could be in a crowd of people and still feel completely alone at that age so I like the positioning of Reagan's character and how she is at the center of this terrifying experience yeah well and it's funny because you said this isn't a coming of age story but as you were talking I was thinking it, it almost kind of is the horror version of that for girls <laughs> <laughs> Because she is right at that age where mm -hmm. things start to change, like your body is changing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have really, I feel like visceral <laughs> um, puberty <laughs> experiences. Yes. <laughs> you know, because our body is not only just changing, but then there's, you know, this kind of blood that you have to deal with all the time. Mm -hmm. And the outward male gaze of the world starts to change and look at you in a completely terrifying way. And you're way too young to really understand all that. And that, when I watched this movie again, I kind of laughed because I thought, here we have essentially the Catholic version or the Christian version of like what goes wrong when a girl comes of age and enters into like her sexuality because oh, yeah. <laughs> everything is so in your face. I mean, she, you know, I'm assuming 
this, it's okay to say this. Mm, spoilers. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, she masturbates with a crucifix at one point and it's oh, yeah. so in your face and you're just thinking, okay, this is like, this is the, the Catholic nightmare of what happens when a girl enters her like sexuality. Oh, um, it's, it's not, um, little darlings. No, it's <laughs> I, definitely not. Yeah. Meatballs. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not. But I feel like this movie really, when you when you say that, it's that that Christian or that Catholic nightmare. I mean, it's that's been perpetrated in urban legends for a long time. I mean, think about you know the kids that went up to like Smooch Point or whatever and were necking were the first to get like the hook handed killer. You know that it was demonized to to sexualize yourself and the sexualized teenagers and movies were the ones that were getting got like Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween. Um, and it just, it's, it's so funny how that, that little through line of this verboten blossoming of who we are as people is <laughs> a horror handicap. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. <insane. laughs> it okay. is. So tell me how you feel this movie shaped you more, mostly as a writer. Well, I already mentioned kind of looking at things through the female gaze. And one thing that has always, and it still bothers me about this movie, that I always think I'm trying to like keep in mind when I write, is that at the heart of it, the, the true horror that's happening is happening to Linda Blair's character, mm -hmm. you know, as a little girl. But she has no agency really in the movie. And even by the end, when she's deemed okay and they're moving back to California, her mom says, well, she doesn't remember any of it. So she doesn't even have a memory of, of all of this really horrific kind of trauma that's happened to her. And the movie becomes a story about a priest fighting a demon. Like that's essentially what it is. It's good versus yeah. evil. It's this male priest fighting Pazuzu who is a male demon in the movie. Like they call him he and him and, you know, uh, the devil is presented as masculine in this movie. Mm -hmm. And so you have two men fighting over <laughs> this little girl's body and who is going to win her soul. Like, is it going to, is Reagan going to be good or is she going to be evil? And it always kind of bothers me that she doesn't have really any agency at all in, in her future. In fact, she's kind of blamed for what happened because when Captain Howdy <laughs> enters, it's because she has played the Ouija board. So mm -hmm. she's, it's like, oh, here's a little girl who is coming of age and now she has sinned. She sinned by like playing with this occult object she's not supposed to play with. And that's what let the devil in. And now these men have to fight for her soul. Right. Way to go, Reagan. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and before that, she's so innocent. You know, right. all she's she's drawing these little animals and she's talking about horses and she's just such a like a wonderful little girl picture of innocence. And so it just bothers me that as she matures into, you know, growing up into a woman that she's not allowed a choice or agency. So in my own writing, I feel like I've tried to give my characters that choice. Like, are they going to choose to be good? Are they going to choose to be evil? And how do they engage? And how do they fight for what they want? Because she's never given that. And even mm -hmm. Ellen Burstyn, she's a great character. She's not really given that at all because no, nobody listens to her. Yeah. So, And I think that when you, when you 
kind of come about 30,000 feet above the movie, it really does look like, I mean, that, that Reagan is the center of the entire movie because she is meant to be. That's her, I mean, the, the whole point is her story. These kind of trajectories of this priest losing faith and, and then, you know, Max von Sydow's character being this like salty dog priest that is going to save the day about things. Reagan's story is really pulled away from her and then <laughs> grabs onto like Jason Miller's character. So, it, and even at the end, his, his death is supposed to be more sad than anything that this poor child has gone through this entire movie, <laughs> which is something that I never really understood. It's a, it's a great movie. It really is. Um, but I feel like that's something that really was never, everyone was kind of okay with it. Like it was like, meh, well, she's fine now. So <laughs> Not to, not to worry. Everything, you know, life kind of goes on. Is that something that, uh, other than that piece, is there something that you wish didn't happen in the movie or something that you believe could have done differently to either further the story or satisfy a, a particular art? Yeah, I, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the the death of the priest at the end. That That bothered me because that is presented as, you know, his struggle is that he's losing his faith but it that's that storyline is never really i think brought to full fruition we really just see him kind of moping around <laughs> and drinking <laughs> and saying oh, yeah like i lost my faith and um he brings up some interesting things because a lot of people in this movie talk and maybe this is because it was the 70s so i'm expecting too much but there was a lot in in it about whether or not like what she's going through is psychiatric or what it, whether what she's going through is actually like demon possession i wish they had played that up a little bit more because the priest is supposed to be this character who is being the skeptic right. but we also don't see him really getting to be the skeptic for very long because as soon as as soon as he really spends any time with her, that's the first time we see. And this movie, by the way, has great body horror. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that that did cement, at least early on for me, was that oh, I like I like this kind of horror. <laughs> like I like it when <laughs> it gets gross and you know the body is like changing and morphing in weird ways. But when yes. he first really spends time with her the help me shows up on her abdomen and mm -hmm. you know there's no way that they're gonna say that psychosomatic um so <laughs> it, it that even that kind of like peters out and i wish they had played that up a little bit more um and they could have played that into who she is as a character because again she's we don't know much about her she likes mm -hmm. horses she plays with a ouija board and she's overhearing her parents fight in really terrible ways but that's really all we get and i wish we could have gotten more in her character to kind of bolster his storyline too about okay is there really like is there a devil at all is there like could this possibly happen if it is psychological trauma like what has happened in this girl's life that caused that right but there, there, that tension really was not played up at all because pretty soon she's just, you know, spitting pea soup in his face and then we're done. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I wish I wish yeah. that had changed a little bit. And yeah, I wish it hadn't been that the the real heartbreak of the story was that he died and it wasn't that she went through this really tr- horrific thing. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the kind of <laughs> I'm not going to say kind of. It really bothered me. The fact that that's that's what it is. And and to your point, he really, you know, we we have him, you know, losing his faith and you know how tragic and it's almost where she is kind of used as a scapegoat for proof. Like she appeared at just the right time for him. That piece kind of takes her agency away too, because now we're focused on, you know, is she an instrument to save him and to restore his faith? So it still ends up being his story. <laughs> it really right. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. And when you look at it from that angle, which I think, if you're looking at it from the intent of the original novel, that is probably the correct way, quote unquote, the correct way to watch it. Because William Peter Blatty, I mean, he was, um, he was a Catholic writer. You know, Mm -hmm. he wanted this to be a movie that scared Christians into doing the right thing. Because in his mind, demons were real. Possession was absolutely possible. Mm -hmm. You know, the, even the the young priest who comes in at the end to um, administer the last rites, like that was a real Jesuit priest who played that part. Oh. So this, I mean, it was meant to be, this is, this could be a true story is how I, William Peter Blatty, at least I think wanted it to be presented. So if we look at it from that, then it is the priest story. And that's, you're right. Absolutely frustrating because then the young girl is just there to like restore his faith in God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And let's stop using women in movies and television and books just to like be the thing that changes the man because that is a terrible. Oh, it's such a terrible model. Trope. It's, it's yeah. the, the fridging concept, really. I mean, on the outskirts of it, but really is it's the it's she is this motivation this accessory piece for this priest story but even in ellen burston loses a little bit of her own story too because you have this mother who is in a really tumultuous relationship with reagan's father and is trying to sort that out and what that means and what that impression means on her child and trying to raise her child with you know, the love and the attention while still internally struggling with that. And then on top of this, this is happening. And then she's being dismissed. But at the end of the day, we're still, she's still an accessory. She's means to an end. (laughs) And it's heartbreaking because this should be a very women-centric story. But the more you, the more you stare at it, the more it's not. And it's, I want to enjoy it. I, I think it's a great, I think it's a fun, scary movie. It's got great body horror to your point. But um, but yeah, I can I can definitely see where you have some reservations <laughs> with it. Um, yeah, makes total sense. Is there a part of the movie that was a favorite part for you? Even if it was like a big shock scene or something, what was the favorite part for you in the movie? Um, when I first watched it, my favorite part was uh, basically the last act where you know, the priests are like spraying holy water on her and the power of Christ compels you and the pea soup is flying and her head is spinning around (laughs) because I had never seen anything remotely like that before. So 
it 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 was terrifying i mean mm -hmm. i remember like i said just not being able even to move but also really enjoying it because i had just never seen anything on screen like that um it it was it was wonderful like i said it really kind of cemented the fact that i like that kind of body horror i i like to see you know things like shift and mutate and bodies bend in the wrong way and that was fun it was fun for me to see her too again watching it as a young girl and, and hearing the things that were flying out of her mouth <laughs> which even as an adult like i would blush to say half the things that she was saying oh come on <laughs> felt just you know i was like oh we can do that we can <laughs> she, she just said that <laughs> and um so that that was kind of fun to watch and i mean really even though i get frustrated as an adult with how the the women are portrayed linda blair's um performance at such a young age mm -hmm. was incredible and oh, so for sure i still love it also watching it again i loved the way this movie used um like the atmospheric sounds in a way I think was really interesting. Like you'd be walking down a, a quiet street and then all of a sudden, um, like the sound of the underground train, the subway train would roar in. And it was a mm -hmm. really quick, fast cut that um, kind of kept you unsettled through the whole movie. Yeah. And I really liked the way that the editing and the sound design was handled in this film. I think it's one of the reasons this has remained a classic. Oh yeah, because we've been conditioned to, you know, wait for like the thin stab or the the slow swelling sound is going to mean something. Somebody's coming, something's happening, um, and it was that quick cut of. I know it's seen you're talking about too with the subway. We were just like, mm -hmm. oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it, it's it's essentially a jump scare. Yeah, but with sound and and nothing really happens, but it puts you on edge in a really nice way. I love it. If you. <laughs> had to describe this movie in a few sentences do you think you could do it sure hit it okay the exorcist a young girl plays with a ouija board and invites captain howdy into her home captain howdy however turns out to be a devil's demon and possesses her and makes her husband around <laughs> And pea soup come out of her mouth. <laughs> the end. The end. That's <laughs> the job. I love it. I love it. So I like this question's probably my my favorite because I feel like everyone has such incredible insight into the movies that they've chosen. Um, what do you feel like this movie is truly about? Oh, I see. I, I think that's what's fascinating about this movie because I think it it depends on who you ask. Right. Um, I think this movie is about the ultimate fight of good versus evil and who is going to win. But that shifts on who you are watching this movie, because I have spoken to a lot of people who watch this movie and say this is one of the most terrifying movies to them because it's real. Like mm. I, I have had people say that oh gosh i would say it's when i talk to people and say that i write horror and that i love horror movies usually they'll say oh the exorcist scared me because it's real 
And I think that's because if you are a religious person, Mm -hmm. if you're, even if you're not Catholic, if you're a Christian, the idea of demons is very real. Like if, if God exists and angels exist, then certainly demons must exist. And if demons exist, then they can take over your body. For me, it is more about the things that shape us as a person and how sometimes those can have completely unintended and terrifying consequences because I always think about some other exorcist stories that I've read, like Ray Russell uh, wrote a novel um, called The Case Against Satan, which came out around the same time, maybe mm-hmm. a few years after the the Blatty novel. And it deals with the idea of is, is this really happening or is there something else at play? Because if there's something else that's not demonic and we're trying to treat it with religion, that can be devastating. Oh, sure. <laughs> right? Like if, yeah. if there wow. is. I've never yeah. thought about that. <laughs> I was I literally just sat back in my chair like, huh. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. It, it is a scary thing. And, and I think I'm, I'm picking that up a lot from watching this as an adult with children. And you think, oh, man, if somebody assumes, you know, oh, this is demonic, then that that can have devastating um, effects if they don't go get medical help, for instance. Or you th- I even tie it back to like what happened at the beginning of this country with the Salem witch trials and the trials that happened in and around that area. Because when people see the devil and the demon and kind of all the details, people get hurt and people die. Oh, for sure. And that is kind of <laughs> one of those things I see in this is if you if you're looking at this as oh demon this was a demon that possessed a girl and they saved her then that's great, and the priest is, um, he's a hero right he's like a selfless hero who took in this demon and and allowed it to take him, and it was the ultimate act of faith. But then if demons aren't real and there was something else going on then that is a whole other level of horror. Of course, I don't think this movie allows that interpretation. I think that was Blatty's influence. Um, Maybe a better example is actually another William Friedkin movie that came out a few decades later, and that's the movie Bug. I think it came out in the mid-2000s, and it starred Ashley Judd and Michael Shannon. I know what movie you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, and that kind of goes into the, like, psychological... Um, like what's the difference between reality and what people see in their head and how much of it is delusion and how much of it is actually happening. Mm-hmm. And that was really well done. And I think that shows kind of what Friedkin could have done had he not been dealing with Vladdy's <laughs> adaptation material. Yeah. So. And I think that, that that's something that it's, and just kind of re- to return to your your thought on the the witch trials, it's like we have, if there is one constant that, you know, I feel like any, and I don't think it's just um, religion heavy, but fear. Fear is so insidious, um, and it really makes people do really ridiculous things. The quote that says that fear is the main source of superstition and the main source of cruelty. And I think that that has, it's so much ingrained in us, because we sit there and we think, you know, we're horror writers, and we we live for the the scare and we live for the education and the thought-provoking process of what that genre brings. But also it's that 
it depends on, like you said, it depends on who you are and what your viewpoint is as to which direction of the fear you went in. Is it because religiously this can happen and things can be demonized and people can be possessed? Or is it the fear of how just visually scary the movie was? It kind of parts, this movie really kind of parts it right down the aisle, doesn't it? Yeah, it it, it really does. And I mean, if we know anything from like history, mass delusions are absolutely possible. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, yeah, think, things have things have happened before where people have kind of bought into the same delusion. And I'm not saying that that's what this movie is about, but I think it taps into that fear that's there. And, and that that to me, like what what people are capable of when they're driven by a certain ideology. And I don't want it to just be like against religions because it can be almost anything. But oh, sure. that that to me is is one of the like it's a really ripe area for horror. 100%. Especially mass hysteria is is so crazy because I've seen they did an experiment on it and that's segue with <laughs> really quick but they did an experiment on it when I was going to school. It wasn't in my particular area of study but they had done an experiment on mass hysteria which was there's this weird it's kind of funny thinking back at it now in our pandemic uh, era but there's this weird cold going around and it makes your makes you very sweaty and it makes you uh, very cold. And all one person had to do was sneeze. And then all of a sudden, everybody was chilly and cold. And then all of a sudden, everybody was sweaty. And then everybody had it. And then everyone was alienating one single person. And then at the end of the project, it was just like, we've literally duped all of you. Like, nobody has nothing. Everybody's okay. This weird way our body just responds to fear like that and how it holds on to it just for proof that either we're right or we're wrong. It's scary stuff. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And if you ever want to know like how our bodies respond to our fears and, and just what little it takes to do that, my sister called me one day and was talking about how there was a lice outbreak in her kids school right Mm -hmm. now she lives seven hours away from me so (laughs) there is no way I could be anywhere near that for a good 24 hours my head itched after (laughs) she was talking about that and you know we laugh but it's true like that took that one word for my scalp to be itching like crazy and I kept telling myself it's in your head there's no way yeah, there's no way there, it is physically impossible for this to be a reality. This and my head seven hours. Still, yeah, my my head still itched. And then you think, OK, now apply that to an ideology that is deeply ingrained in you and has been deeply ingrained in you since you were an infant. Mm-hmm. How what how like deep rooted that's going to take. So, right. it, yeah, it's really fascinating. Yeah prolific um movies quote unquote um of that era was it's really cool i'm very excited that you picked this one me too (laughs) very excited so lisa where can the folks find you your materials your what can we find where can we find you okay well i have a website it's lisakroger.com so really easy and there all the books are on there um tells all about <laughs> all about where you can find my stuff. 
Um, my book, Monster, she wrote, is out. Uh, you can buy it pretty much from any major retailer. If you go to the Cork Books website, they have a link to all the, the big places. Um, I always recommend bookshop.org because if you're looking for something easy, uh, that's online shopping, but it also uh, will send money to local uh, book independent book retailers, which I think is important. Wonderful. Yeah. And then I'm on social media. So Twitter and Instagram, you can find me there. Twitter is at LB Kroger and Instagram is at Lisa.Kroger. I love it. Yay. <laughs> Yay, Lisa. So again, folks, Between the Bannisters is really all about um, talking to some of the coolest creatives out there about how the films uh, not, not, not necessarily loved <laughs> that they've seen um, have helped shape them either creatively or uh, fundamentally. And it's been a really pleasure, uh, a really pleasure, a real pleasure having Lisa here today. So we will see you next week.